Hey, hey, you were listening to JC Talks, a podcast about life, leadership, and human flourishing. My guiding philosophy is simple. What you can be, you must be. The purpose of this podcast is to help you live an all-in life, be an all-in leader, and lead all-in teams and organizations. I'm your host, JC Hurtado Prater, yours truly, and I'm so grateful you joined me for a few moments today on the podcast. We're in the book called the science of success we're on chapter i guess this one doesn't have chapter three where we're talking about vision 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 one one of my favorite things to talk about so let's dive in and see what charles coke has to say and today we're really going to talk about this idea of value creation and self-interest all of this comes into this idea of vision when we when we're determining the vision for our organization for our business our product our service And I would say for ourselves, we have to keep in mind uh, what we're going to talk about over the next few days here. But the first thing we have to talk about is this idea of value creation. So let's dive in and read what Charles Koch has to say. Page 55, an effective business vision begins and ends with value creation, which is the only reason any business should exist in a true market economy for a business to survive and prosper long-term, it must develop and use its capabilities to create real, sustainable, superior value for its customers and for society. That's where it all starts. When you're determining the vision for your life, when you're determining the vision for your team, your organization, your family, whatever it is, as a parent, as a spouse, whatever it is, partner, it comes down to this right here to use your capabilities, to use the business's capabilities, to use the team's capabilities to create real sustainable superior value uh, value for the customers and for society. That's where vision starts right there. So let's talk about value creation. Successful companies create value by providing products or services their companies value more highly than available alternatives. They do this while consuming fewer resources, leaving more resources available to satisfy other needs in society. So it's not about taking everything. It's about using fewer resources, taking fewer resources. If you can do that, develop a product that adds value to society, uses fewer resources, and costs customers fewer resources, you've got yourself a game changer right there. Value creation involves making people's lives better. It is contributing to prosperity in society. Value creation is the role of business in a market economy. Businesses that don't create value are not enhancing people's lives. In fact, businesses that destroy value are detrimental to our lives. When businesses make unprofitable products, they are drawing resources away from higher valued uses. And when businesses waste resources, they prevent them from being beneficially used at all. In either case, a business with unattractive returns should be restructured, sold to a better owner, or shut down. So if you can't get the business right, if you can't create value creation, Okay. If you're having unattractive returns, you're not making the profit you need to, you're not adding value to society, you need to restructure, you need to sell it to a better owner, you need to shut it down. Well, that's tough for leaders to hear. If you're not getting the job done, that means you need to turn it over to somebody else to get the job done or do the work. I think that's one of the most frustrating things that I've seen in my lifetime of working with some leaders 
is that some of them know that there's a problem, but they don't want to do the work such as restructuring, right? Such as restructuring. Uh, I'm, that's something you can do on your own. That's something a leader can do on their own. But if you can't be willing to do this, you got to be able to sell it off or shut it down. Turn it over to somebody else, right? Give somebody else the opportunity to do what you can't or will not do. This next uh, sentence I have starred here. The long-term success of a business is determined by how much it is contributing to improving people's lives and prosperity through value creation. So again, think about that. Think about any business that you know of that has been around long-term. The reason why they've had long-term success is because they put value creation, prosperity through value creation. That's one of their highest aims, okay? They are, are contributing to improving people's lives. And that could be, it, it doesn't have to be some, you know, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be an iPhone. It could be the person who goes to the store and they're choosing between Frosted Flakes and the great value brand of Frosted Flakes, whatever those are, like Frosted, I don't know what they call it, Frosted Cereal or something like that. That's adding value because it's helping somebody get what they normally would want, the Frosted Flakes, but now they're getting it at a cheaper price. They're getting frosted, you know, squares or something like that, whatever they call them, okay? That's improving somebody's lives. They're getting to save money and spend that money somewhere else, and they're still getting that same great taste that they want in the Frosted Flakes. Now, that's not a great example because Frosted Flakes are incredibly unhealthy for you, but you get what I'm saying. People are going to eat Frosted Flakes whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, right? So if you can invent a product that's almost the same as something else, but it saves somebody money or it helps somebody who doesn't have as much money as the other person who can afford the brand name, that's adding value to, uh, that's adding value to society. It's adding value to the marketplace and you're going to stay in business, right? Let's continue here. In a true free market with beneficial rules and property rights, the appropriate measure of the enterprise's value creation is long-term profitability. If you can sustain your profitability, if you can do it over a long period of time, this is where success is found. And this is, this is one of the greatest lessons I've learned from reading about Charles Koch, from reading his words, reading about him. He is big time on long-term profitability, long-term sustainability. And again, we can learn from this guy because he took a company uh, at the age of 32 or something like that in his early 30s, valued at $21 million, and he's turned it into a company now valued 50-something years later at $115 billion. So this is somebody we can learn from. Well, let's keep going. Creating superior values uh, means generating greater value from the resources consumed than alternate uses. By resources, we mean not only capital and raw materials, but also labor, intellectual property, and other inputs. Superior value can be created by converting these resources into a product or service that has greater value to the customer or by consuming fewer or lower opportunity cost resources to provide the product or service. For example, Coke companies, now this is Charles Coke talking here. Uh, for example, Coke companies turn uh, crude oil into products such as gasoline and chemicals into fibers using uh, carpets and clothes. If we can make these products using fewer or less costly raw materials, the resources saved are available to satisfy other needs, enabling our profits to increase even when our, pri our prices decline. 
If all this is done in harmony with sound principles, we are generating real value in society by the economic means. The ability of a business to create value is greatly facilitated by a market economy that coordinates the various interests of a diverse population. Now watch this. Here's where we get into this idea of self-interest, okay? So you've got to create value for society. That's where the vision comes from. How do I create more value than the next customer or than the next company? It's, re it's really not even about competition. A lot of people would say competition is irrelevant. Competition is for losers. If you're out there competing with a bunch of other people, you already lost anyway. So it really is trying to find the gaps in the marketplace and say, how do I find uh, value and create value for other people using the gaps, the things that people need? It's the it's the everyday thing that, that, that you've done three or four times this week that has frustrated you. That's a gap in the marketplace. And if you can somehow figure out how to solve that problem, because if you're struggling with that problem, more than likely other people are struggling struggling with that problem. If you can figure out how to fill that gap in the marketplace and make money for it, what's well, good for you and it's good for other people. That's what this article is trying to say. That's what this book is saying. So watch this. Here we go. Now, this next part is starred, it's underlined, and it's highlighted. So this is really important for us. We all tend to pursue our own interest, but in a true market economy, we can only prosper by providing others with what they value. It is not about you. It's not about what's best for you. It's about putting the client, the end user, the customer first. The economist Adam Smith, who wrote The Wealth of Nations, summed up this process when he said, it is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own self-interest. So really, every all of us, and this is important, we don't want to admit this, you know, it's hard for us to understand this, but this is foundational to understanding how to win in the marketplace. Everybody is working and thinking and purchasing and buying and selling out of their own self-interest. That's just how the marketplace works. That's how human beings are wired. So when you're thinking about the product, the service, the offering that you have, the business you want to build, the organization you want to grow, you have to be thinking always in terms of everybody is always working in their own self-interest. So if you're an employer, you've got to think this about your employees. As the employees, you've got to think about the customer, the end user. They're thinking about themselves. The end user needs to look back at the employee and say, this, this, employee, uh, this employee I'm working with right now is out for their own self-interest. So if I'm having an issue with the product, is it helping me to walk in and yell at the employees or to give the employees a hard time? No, it's not. They're working in their own self-interest. So if you're working against their self-interest, they're not going to help you like they could if you were to work in their self-interest, right? I just had a conversation with somebody this morning. Uh, flies, I'm sorry, honey attracts flies better than vinegar. That, that may not be the right thing. Uh, I mean, that, that's a saying out there. I don't know how true that is. Honey attracts flies better than vinegar. So if we're kind to people, it, it, you know, it, if we treat people the way that we want to be treated, this whole idea of mutual benefit. But at the core of that is understanding everybody's working in their self-interest. So if I want to make profit in the economy, if I want to have a podcast that's, that is successful, if I want to have a business that is successful, if I want to teach successfully to the students that I teach to, I've got to understand one thing, and that is this, everybody that comes around me, everybody that comes into my life, they are wired to work from their own self-interest to think from their own self-interest. And this is just human nature. It's not, don't take it personal. It just is the way it is, okay? 
So it's not about the benevolence. You go to a butcher shop, you or let's bring it down to where we are today. Uh, you go to the grocery store, you go to the restaurant, you go to the local mall, and oh, the customer, you know, the the lady behind the counter is so nice to me, and she treats me so well, and and she really helped me with my, you know, with my with my product today. She really likes me. She doesn't care. Look, that's just I'm just being real with. She didn't give one care about you in the world. Okay. What she cares about is making that profit. What she cares about is the fact that you're going to turn around and turn in a good customer review, you know, or a good employee review or a good review, you know, for her. She wants that. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? You want a good product. She wants a good review. It works out for everybody. This is what we're talking about, about this idea of understanding self-interest. Now he writes this block down here about self-interest. I'm going to read this. By self-interest, Smith, he's talking about Adam uh, Smith, meant what Tocqueville called enlightened self-interest in which people benefit themselves by benefiting others. And then here's a quote. Americans are fond of explaining almost all the actions of their lives by the principles, by the principle of interest rightly understood. They show with complacency how an enlightened regard for themselves constantly prompts them to assist each other. Okay. We see this all the time, right? People are assisting other people, but really it's about benefiting themselves. Christmas time comes around. And what do people go out and do on Thanksgiving day or Christmas day, right? They go out and serve the poor. It's like the poor only come out on Christmas day and Thanksgiving day, right? What are people really doing in some ways? They're making themselves feel better. Hey, I spent two hours on Christmas day out serving the poor. I spent two hours Thanksgiving morning before I went and had my huge turkey and met with my family and sat in the warmth of my home. I went out and I helped the poor. That makes them feel better. It's not really helping the poor people because the poor people are going to stay poor. What happens Friday after Thanksgiving and Saturday and Sunday after Thanksgiving? They still don't have food to eat and you've already forgotten about them because you feel better. It's working out for you. Such mutual self-interest is best served in a system which, in which beneficial rules of exchange are enforced. As Vernon Smith has noted, these rules are the right of possession, its transference by consent, and the performance of promises. This system encourages profiting by the economic means and discourages profiting by the political means. It is not a question of whether there is there should be self-interest. It is a question of how to channel that self-interest. Again, we don't need to you know talk about that and we don't need to argue it. And we don't need to get upset about it. People work from their own self-interest. Okay? That's not the question. It's how do we channel that Okay, for myself and for them? No individual, here's a quote, no individual could survive in a world of scarce resources without a strong measure of self-interest, one that includes, at the very least, his own family and close associates, right? This is what we think about, the people that are around us, our children, right? We think about them. We want what's best for them. We will steal and maybe even kill for our children. That's how much they mean to us, okay? Um, That's self-interest. We're looking out for our own. Uh, Well, let's move on here. That self-interest can manifest itself in one of two ways when dealing with strangers through their aggression or cooperation. For society or organization to prosper long term, it must have rules and incentives that enable and reward enlightened self-interest benefiting others, which is cooperation while prohibiting and punishing destructive self-interest that undermines prosperity. That is aggression, okay? So cooperation is, we're all working together, okay? And it's all, it's mutually beneficial for all of us here, okay? It's beneficial for you, it's beneficial for me, that's cooperation, okay? 
destructive self-interest. This is really where I tear you down to make myself better. That's aggression. We need to have every rule that we can against that. I want to read one more thing for you here. Even with all of us seeking our own self-interest and without any society-wide planning, order emerges. And we're going to talk about this in the next podcast, okay? But this is kind of an introduction. Because this emergent order, emerging order is not centrally planned, uh, F.A. Hayek described it as spontaneous order. We'll talk about this in the next podcast. In a market economy, producers and consumers have many alternatives and choices. The fact that new products and methods are constantly driving out old ones presents businesses with constantly challenging, constantly changing challenges and opportunities. Here's what you need to know today. Okay, at the very uh, at the very beginning, when we think about our organizations, our companies, it all starts with vision. But that vision must be tied to value creation. How am I bringing greater uh, emphasis and greater uh, emphasis is not the right word? How am I great? How am I bringing greater effectiveness to the marketplace? How am I adding value to the marketplace? How am I? Uh, how is my product, my service adding value to the marketplace? How is it helping others? How is it beneficial to other people? That's what we have to think from. And as leaders, this is a leadership podcast. As we're leading other people, we've got to think about the people we're leading. How is my leadership benefiting them? You know, some of you out there, you wonder why you're not getting the thing you want to get from the people that you're leading. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because you're not thinking about them. You're thinking about yourself and they can see it. They can see it. And of course you are because you're working out of self-interest. But here's what you have to understand from a leadership perspective. When you, when, you, when you begin to put your people first, even if you do this from a selfish perspective, I shouldn't be saying that, but you get what I'm saying. Even if you do it out of self-interest, okay, the smartest thing you can do is put uh, the needs of the people you're leading above your own. This is how, this is how you have great leadership. Put the organization first. Put the customers first. Put your employees first. You've got to come last and then watch what happens, right? What you're going to see is as you tip it upside down, right? Because right now, a lot of people are thinking about themselves, then their employees, then their customers, or here's the worst, right? Here's the kind of employees or here's the kind of managers and leaders we don't want to see. They're thinking about themselves first, then the customer, and then the employee. Same care. You know, they don't even care really about the employee. They see that employee as a resource to get something done to make them better. That's the wrong way to look at it. Now, again, from a self-interest, it's smart that you put your employees first. It's smart that you put your customers first. It will help you in the long run. But the point I'm trying to make here is you got to understand that your vision has to start with value creation, thinking about your customer. And as a leader, your vision has to start with how do I put my employees first? How do I put the people working for me first? How do I understand that they are working from their own self-interest? They don't care about you or your vision. They care about them. I see a lot of people get up on stages and talk sometimes and they get up and they just talk about themselves. I've never understood that. I, I guess I used to do that a lot too, though. I would tell you I used to do that a lot. And then I went to a conference and I heard this guy talk about, hey, when you get up and speak, no one cares about you. Uh, they're the hero of their story. Stop trying to be the hero of their story. It's, it's always the small town speakers that get up there. And I don't mean small town, but it's the, it's the small minded speakers that get up there and they just tell stories about themselves. They just talk about themselves the whole time. Right. That that's a lazy way of speaking. The most uh, effective, impactful way of speaking is to focus your attention on the people in front of you. Right. How do I help you? How do I serve you uh, through my speaking? And it's the same thing when it comes to leadership. Why? Because there's massive self-interest. People are always thinking about what's in it for themselves. So channel that for good. Okay. 
channel that vision. If you know everyone in front of you, you have a team of 20 people, let's say, and you know all of them are thinking about their own self-interest, your job as a leader, figure out what that self-interest is and help them, right? You know, push them forward. Uh, let them shine. If they have a need for significance, who cares? Let them have a need for significance. If they have a need for leadership and they want to take charge, then let them take charge. Empower your people, okay? This is how we win in leadership. This is how we win in life. That's all I got for you today. Value creation. Vision starts with value creation and understanding that people work from their own self-interest, including you, including me. I'll see you in the next episode of JC Talks Leadership Podcast. Take care. Have a great day. I'll see you soon. 